Welcome to a special presentation of Nebraska Farmcast, a podcast with essential information for essential decisions from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The Nebraska Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics is dedicated to providing timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications for Nebraska agricultural decision makers. Each week, our team brings you essential information for your essential decisions in live webinars covering a diverse array of farm and ranch management topics presented by experts from the university, from across the state, and from around the country. This series of podcasts offers audio from these webinars so you can learn on the go. To find a complete archive of all webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more resources, visit the Farm and Ranch Management website at farm.unl.edu. Good afternoon. Welcome to our webinar. I'm Brad Lubin, Associate Professor and Extension Policy Specialist in the Department of Agricultural Economics at UNL. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, this webinar, like many in our series, is part of a series that we have done uh, for, on behalf of our Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team that typically have run every Thursday at noon. Uh, you can find a recording of this webinar uh, and of previous webinars, uh, as well as a schedule of upcoming webinars on our website at farm.unl.edu. One resource that we want to share as we begin the today is to continue to remind you of the availability and of the Nebraska Rural Response Hotline. In times of stress, knowing when to reach out is essential. The Nebraska Rural Response Hotline can provide mental health counseling, information uh, regarding legal assistance, financial clinics, mediation, and more. The hotline's toll-free number is 1-800-464-0258. In addition, a wealth of resources related to stress and wellness can be found at ruralwellness.unl.edu. As a technical reminder during today's presentation, please use the chat box or the Q&A uh, box located on the bottom of your screen uh, to ask any questions. We'll address those at the end of the presentation as time allows. Now on to today's topic, uh, we're gonna talk about property taxes in Nebraska. Late in the most recent uh, legislative session, the Nebraska legislature passed property tax legislation that will establish a refundable state income tax credit of an estimated 6% of property taxes paid for local schools. Eligible taxpayers will be able to claim this credit as soon as next year. To present today on how this legislation came to pass and how the, uh, the broader uh, legislative agenda has, has carried out, as well as how to estimate potential refunds and what it means for Nebraskans, uh, I'm pleased to introduce my colleague, uh, Dave Aiken. Dave is a professor and agricultural law specialist here in the Department of Agri Agricultural Economics Dave's a longtime colleague of mine, not just as a fellow faculty member, but I remember Dave as an instructor when I was an undergraduate student here in the department as well. The university recently recognized Dave's 45 years of service to UNL in the ag law arena, and we greatly appreciate his service and his continued work here. Dave, I wanna turn it over to you to talk about property taxes today and look forward to the discussion. Thanks, Brad, and uh, welcome everyone. Uh, we're gonna talk about the uh, uh, legislation that was adopted uh, late in the legislative session. And just as a little bit of background, you know, property taxes is a perennial issue in Nebraska. 
Uh, we are a high property tax state. Uh, our ag property taxes, uh, as compared to uh, farm income in Nebraska, are very high. Uh, we're, we're close to the top of the list uh, as, as far as that goes. So getting some property tax relief has been a, a priority for ag groups for a long, long time. Now, I have not had a ringside seat uh, in terms of the, the politics involved in, in the legislation we're going to talk about today. Um, I've been following this from the sidelines, you know, through legislative documents and through media accounts and so forth, but I have not been involved uh, directly or indirectly, uh, you know, as talking to senators or anything like that. So I don't have inside information. Uh, I, I, I do, you know, have the occasional uh, political observation to make, uh, but it is, you know, uh, purely, as, purely as an outsider. Okay, so what happened this year? Well, the legislature adopted uh, Legislative Bill 1107, which was really three separate programs. Uh, the first one uh, is the Imagine Nebraska Act, uh, which uh, is the new economic state economic development program. And it, I think it replaces, replaces the Nebraska Advantage Act. Uh, so it's kind of the, the high end uh, economic development program for the state. Uh, the second uh, program, the important program, is uh, a, a program to provide uh, state funding to uh, get federal funds to create a $2.6 billion uh, pandemic center at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha. And uh, this, this project uh, is supposed to be 8,700 high paying jobs and stuff like that. So it's, it, it's a big deal, be a big deal for the state, a really big, really big deal for Omaha. And uh, you know, the, the, the state investment to get the, that federal investment is, is pretty small. Then the third one is the property tax, uh, the property tax uh, program, which creates a, a state income tax credit uh, for 6% of the property taxes paid for schools. And the legislation uh, hopes, uh, I think is the best way to put it, that uh, the 6% could increase to 18% uh, by 2025, uh, but that depends on you know, being able to hit some uh, marks as far as tax revenues uh, generated and, and that sort of thing. You know, if tax revenues uh, are down, then that, you know, might not get to the 18% by 2025. Uh, you, know, the, you know, all of that could be adjusted by the legislature down the road. Uh, a lot of people have opinions about how we need to fix property taxes in Nebraska. And uh, we'll run through a few of those uh, in, the course of the, uh, in, the, in the course of the presentation. But there are lots of trade-offs involved to get a deal like this put together. And of the three programs adopted in the Imagine Nebraska Act, 
the property tax reform was by far the most controversial. Uh, the uh, economic development uh, update and the money for the pandemic center, uh, pandemic center at the med center, uh, those were both pretty, you know, they were almost in the slam dunk category uh, in terms of being bills that would sail through with high levels of uh, support, you know, on both sides of the aisle. Uh, the only thing that was, the only thing that uh, uh, was slowing things down was that uh, uh, in a political move that we will discuss a little bit in a few slides, uh, those two basically non-controversial programs uh, or less controversial programs got tied to the very controversial property tax program. And so, you know, if, if, these, if these two wagons weren't there to hitch the property tax reform to, we wouldn't be, we'd be talking about another year of no property tax reform in Nebraska. So there are lots of political trade-offs uh, involved and, uh, you know, what comes out, it's, you know, it's the legislative sausage that, that nobody likes to, to watch being made. Uh, but, uh, you know, at the end of the, at the, end of the day, uh, we have pretty, fairly significant property tax relief and uh, something that could really could grow into something that would be more robust uh, property tax relief. So I think, you know, the legislature was very pleased and uh, I think they have, I think they had every reason to be. Okay, this was a two year process because, you know, the legislature, you know, the budget is, is a two year budget and, and uh, this is that second year. Um, last year, uh, what happened uh, is that, you know, everybody and their brother had their own property tax proposal. And there were uh, lots of lots of different proposals that reflected the different philosophies about what's the best way to to accomplish property tax reform. And so we'll we'll just we'll just tick through some of the, the most uh, uh, some of the most important ones, uh, and then and then see what happened. Okay, the first one that we'll talk about is uh, change the state aid formula uh, to increase the per pupil uh, state aid. Uh, and as a consequence of that, increasing the amount that's across the board, uh, it would reduce the need-based aid that goes uh, primarily to, to metro school districts. Uh, and I use the term metro loosely, not in the, not in the strict census sense, but you know, it goes to the schools in, in the, what I'll call the, the uh, regional trade centers and so forth, Kearney, Grand Island, um, South Sioux City, you know, Columbus, they get some of that need-based aid in addition to Lincoln and Omaha. So it's not just Lincoln and Omaha, but Lincoln and Omaha are the two, are the two big gorillas uh, uh, in, that, uh, in that arena. So uh, Lincoln and Omaha school districts strongly oppose that. You know, they, they will pull out all the stops to avoid changing uh, the state aid formula unless it's a change that they sign on to. Uh, and I just, I'll make a couple of observations. Uh, first of all, what was passed in 2020 did not change the state aid formula. 
the second thing, and I'll return to this uh, at, towards the end and, and talk about where do we go from here. Uh, in, in all the different groups who were negotiating uh, these property tax reforms, uh, and because property taxes is a ma the major source for school finance, and it's the major uh, thing that property tax is spent for in Nebraska. Uh, so, so when you talk about property taxes, you're almost always talking about uh, school revenue, uh, st school tax receipts as well. Um, <clears throat> Lincoln, or, or school districts were never at the table. They were never part of that discussion. And so pretty much whatever came out, uh, you know, if the schools, school districts didn't like it, they were going to let everybody know they didn't like it. And uh, that was, you know, school district opposition was what stopped, uh, quote, consensus property tax reforms in 2019 and in 2020. So uh, it's, you know, politically, we've got a ways to go uh, before we'll get to the grand bargain stage. Uh, but that's something that will take a lot more, a lot of time uh, and a lot of a lot of leadership and buy-in to to bring that about. So anyway, changing the state aid formula, increasing per pupil aid, uh, and and why I was digging into this. This has sort sort of been my uh, my uh, professional hobby the last uh, four or five years is is trying to figure out the property tax situation in Nebraska. Um, I was surprised that the per pupil amount of state aid is so small. Uh, uh, the biggest chunk of the state aid formula is this need-based aid that goes to school districts that don't have the per-pupil uh, property tax base that most uh, rural uh, school districts enjoy. So that's, you know, changing that, uh, it's gonna be a, every dollar that you put in per-pupil state aid, that goes to every school district based on the number of kids that they have without regard to how much they can raise through property taxes. You know, unless the total amount of state aid increases, that's gonna reduce the amount of state aid that's available for these, <clears throat> for the Metro uh, school districts. Uh, again, not just Lincoln and Omaha, but they would get the lion's share of that, of that amount. So strong opposition from Lincoln and Omaha and, uh, and that, that, you know, the compromise bill from last year never, never made it out of the gate because of that. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of the, uh, one of the uh, equally controversial, but this was more controversial at the, at the citizen level rather than just at the, at the uh, uh, governmental level with the school districts. Uh, changing uh, sale, the sales tax base in Nebraska, closing some sales tax exemptions and uh, using the increased revenue uh, from, you know, the, the additional sales taxes that would be collected on, you know, prescription drugs or doctor visits or uh, getting your hair cut or your nails done or whatever it happens to be. Uh, that was proposed and then that was uh, that was proposed in a fairly, you know, and they're looking at closing a number of loopholes to raise, to try to raise some significant money to provide a significant property tax relief. And it turns out that the bill 
uh, in 2019 would have provided somewhere between uh, $350,000 and $500,000 worth of property tax relief, uh, which, would have, which would have been a lot, uh, would have been very substantial property tax relief. Uh, you know, what we got this year was $125 million uh, new dollars going into property tax relief. Uh, so, you know, that gives you some, some basis of comparison. Uh, there are lots, lots of opposition to closing uh, the sales tax uh, loopholes. You know, one person's loophole is another person's economic lifeline, or, you know, so you would think from the hearing. All these, all these businesses were going to go broke if they lost their sales tax exemption and, and, and the state was going to just dry up and blow away, you know. So it was, you know, the, the, the sky was going to fall if we closed these loopholes. Uh, more significantly, the governor said that he was opposed to uh, lowering one tax by increasing a different tax. This is called a tax shift, and so uh, and and he was not he was not in favor of of uh, you know increasing the sales tax base to provide new revenue for property tax relief. So that you know this this was going to be a hard enough law to pass uh, without having to overcome a veto. So, uh, you know, they, they, uh, uh, that, that was, that was kind of the end of that. Okay. Another, another thing that was proposed, I think, and I think this was in uh, both the governor's proposal and also in a legis separate legislative proposal, putting a cap on spending increases by school districts. And this was this was strongly opposed by, you know, all school districts, uh, not just Lincoln or Omaha. In fact, uh, the, as I went through the hearing record uh, on that on that hearing, um, they rural. I think there was the Milford School District. So a representative of the Milford School District came in and said, "Look, if you go back for the last ten years, compare." The increases in state spending and the increases in, in school spending, you know, statewide, it's it's like one of them is 3.1% and one of them is 3.2%. So, I mean, they're both within a tenth of a percent of each other. So, you know, if we're reckless in terms of how much money we spend, you know, the, the legislature is right there with us, you know, step for step, so making the point that the increases were not the the as as bad as as proponents of this of this approach suggested. So again, that was part of the, the final compromise package last year, and and the schools uh, schools sank that one. Okay, uh, there are many many uh, uh, property tax slash school finance proposals in the hopper last year, uh, but none of them gained any uh, political traction. So the Revenue Committee, under the uh, determined uh, leadership of uh, Senator, Senator uh, Lyon uh, from the Omaha area, uh, you know, they worked really hard. And she's worked really hard on this and really deserves a lot of credit uh, for, for the process getting as much, getting as far as it has. Um, they they came up with a compromise where they tried to take the best from all the different proposals, you know, the most popular parts and stuff like that, put it together in a new bill, reported that out of committee, 
Uh, the uh, Omaha and Lincoln school districts opposed it. Uh, senators from Omaha and Lincoln, you know, voted accordingly, and the vote and the the last year's compromise was five votes short uh, of the, the number needed to break the filibuster. I think that ended up with 28 votes. Then, and this was key, you know, the other kudo has to go to uh, Tom Breezy, uh, but Senator Breezy. Uh, led a group of about a half a dozen or maybe a few more uh, rural senators who voted against the uh, Imagine Nebraska Act, the rewrite of the Nebraska Advantage Act, uh, and said, we're not going to vote for this economic development update until we get meaningful property tax relief. And they held firm. And so the Imagine Nebraska Act, which should have sailed through, didn't because enough rural senators said, nope, we're not, we're not going to vote for this until you get, until we get your votes for property tax relief. And uh, without that, we would not have property tax relief. You know, we'd be having this webinar on something else, but it wouldn't be on, on what was accomplished. Okay, so the end of the 2019 legislative session, you know, this is the interim between the two, the 2019 and the 2020 session. You know, the Revenue Committee, you know, met with the governor uh, to develop something that the governor could support. And, you know, getting the governor's support was a big deal. Uh, so the new revenue from broadened uh, property tax base was out uh, because of the governor's opposition. And so that meant necessarily that the size of the property tax relief was going to be much less than if you had 100, 200, 300 million dollars of new sales tax revenue to play around with. Uh, you know, you were not going to have those kinds of dollars available to fund property tax relief, so it was going to be something smaller. Uh, second, the second thing that was a big thing. Uh, was the so-called 35% solution. And this was a, a proposed constitutional amendment uh, for which uh, uh, petitions were being circulated to get it on the ballot uh, this November. Uh, those petitions were being circulated, but the uh, signature collection process uh, was not well funded. Uh, it would have the 35% solution would have given everybody who paid property taxes in Nebraska a 35 a state income tax credit for 35% of their total property taxes paid. So if you paid uh, $10,000 in property taxes, you'd get a $3,500 credit on your state income tax return and and you know, depending on, you know, what your taxes were that year, you could get all of that money back as a refund, or you could get a bigger refund, you know, with that 3,500 on top of what refund you would have gotten otherwise. So that would have been, uh, you know, that was a big deal. Uh, it would, it would have blown a huge hole in the budget and, uh, you know, would have required, Massive spending cuts, massive tax increases, or both. But uh, COVID uh, put the stop to this to the to the petition effort. 
I also believe that it was a, a lack of money, uh, but uh, you know, it, they, they they stopped collecting ballots. You know, when it became clear that that would be kind of a that would provide a health risk to circulators and and so forth. So they so that was didn't have to take that into account this time around. Okay, so we get to the 2020 uh, and. The bill that came out of the Revenue Committee was LB 974. And its proposal would have been to lower uh, property tax valuations over three years. And ag would go from 75% uh, to 55%, uh, which would be about a 20% 20, 20 reduction of total property taxes. Uh, and then residential, commercial, industrial would go from 100% valuation to 87%, which works out to about an 8% reduction in the total property tax bill. Um, <clears throat> this means that you know lowering the value of prop of land for uh, school valuations means that schools would get be able to collect less property taxes, and so the difference would have been made up by uh, increased state aid. Uh, in addition, uh, school tax increases would have been uh, capped, would have been limited. And that bill stalled on general file. It did not have the votes to go to, uh, to make it to the second round of debate. So at this point, uh, Speaker Scheer, who is the third one who gets a gold star uh, for this legislation, appointed a group of senators to develop a compromise. And it was understood that this compromise would include, you know, the Med Center program, the uh, economic development program, and the property tax reform. And, you know, this group was set up before the, the legislative session uh, was uh, uh, adjourned, temporarily adjourned, uh, because of the COVID uh, crisis. And that gave them, a, they, that gave them time to negotiate. Excuse me. <clears throat> so when the legislature reconvened uh, this summer, the, uh, they came up with a, a new bill, Legislative 1107. Uh, and I think the final vote on it was 42 to three or something like that. So it had overwhelming support. I mean, there were, there were people who were very vocal and say, no, this is not the right way to do uh, property tax reform. You know, we need to reform the state aid program and stuff like that. But anyway, you know, they were in the minority. Everybody was happy to get this thing done. They also, they wanted those other two bills, the, the economic development bill and the med center bill, they wanted those bills to get passed, and they were happy to to include property tax uh, as part as, as part of the three programs that this bill would would come would cover. Um, and if if you're if you want to you know you, you know you hear about inside baseball and stuff. If you want to get inside Nebraska politics, you can look at the group. You know, Speaker Shear appointed a group to try this in 2019. And he appointed a group to do that, the same thing in 2020. 
the, some of the people who were on both groups and some of the people that were on the 2019 group were not on the 2020 group and they were replaced by somebody who was probably a little bit more flexible, you know, more willing to help make a deal. Uh, and, and, you know, that plus the state economic development program, the, the Nebraska Advantage Act was going to terminate this year. I mean, terminates in 2020. So they needed the replacement ready to go. Otherwise, they would be there with no economic development program to, you know, to lure, you know, Google or Microsoft Uber or, you know, Toyota or whomever to come to Nebraska and, and you know, build a big plant and employ a lot of people or whatever. So uh, it was, uh, you know, it was this year for that bill to get passed. And so that helped, you know, uh, that very hard deadline uh, focused everybody's attention on on trying to get this deal done and and they did and and people were happy okay so how how is this going to work well i just checked the revenue department website you know this morning and uh, they don't have anything out on this yet but you know my guess is that uh there will be i don't know whether it'll be a uh whether it'll be just part of the basic form, whether it'll be a, a separate schedule or whatever, but there will be somewhere on next year's uh, uh, state income tax return, you'll have the opportunity to say, did you pay property tax? Yes, okay, well then enter line, online, blah, 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 enter the amount from your property tax return that says, how much you paid to local schools. Or maybe they will look it up and they'll be able to tell you what it was. Or, you know, um, who knows? I don't know how they're going to do it. But anyway, the amount that you paid, the amount of your total property tax that went towards schools will, you know, probably be entered into your income tax return. And then they'll say, multiply that amount by 6%. And then that will be a credit that a refundable credit that, you know, will go towards any taxes that you owe. And, and uh, if you don't owe any taxes, then it'll come back to you as a refund from the state of Nebraska. So I'm, I'm encouraging everybody to hang on to your property tax statement, you know, that you get from the county. Uh, or, you know, if you have land in more than one county, you, you know, it'll be from all the county, from wherever you own land. You know, so hang on to those. Uh, and if you want, you can, you know, multiply that by 6%, and uh, that will be a good ballpark of, of what your credit uh, will be uh, on, your, uh, on the state income tax return next year. Um, I'm guessing that for uh, most, for residential users, uh, it's going to be in the, you know, $500 and up maybe, you know, something like that. Uh, for farmers and ranchers, you know, it's going to be uh, five, you know, five, six thousand dollars or more, uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. But you can you can calculate it yourself. You know, I just plugged in average values for homes and you know thought what I would be average, you know, size sizes for farms and ranches and stuff, and did some estimates that way. But but you can do it yourself from the tax statements, the property tax statements. So that'll, that'll, that'll give you a little heads up in terms of what that, what that might look like uh, for you. Okay, well, I mentioned that 
this is a multi-year program. Uh, and so the money for the first year and the base amount of $125 million is pretty much locked in. Uh, could be could be changed by future legislatures, but we're hoping that that's not that's not going to happen. Um, but you know, it's a, this amount is supposed to increase each year for the next five years or so until we get to 375 million. But it all depends on you know on uh, the economy being in good shape and, and tax revenues being pretty robust and stuff like that for all that to happen. And if it, and if it doesn't happen, then it's going to take longer to get to the 375 million uh, or, you know, whatever it is, but 375 million is, I mean, that's substantial property tax relief. You know, that's, you know, three, 300 million, 400 million, 500 million. That's, that's very substantial property tax relief. Uh, and you know, so so that's that's uh, uh, you know, it, you know, it starts at the at the moderate level, but it it gets it gets better, uh, hopefully, as as time goes on. So, uh, so what? So how well does the economy have to do? Well, sales and income tax collections, they have to first they have to exceed projections, and then they uh, on an annual basis they have to uh, exceed uh, projections by the three and a half, or they have to exceed, excuse me, three and a half percent. So if, if uh, uh, sales income taxes are more than three and a half percent on an annual basis, you know, then hopefully we're on the road to, to, to get to the full 375 million. Uh, you know, if, if it's, if it's short of that, you know, then uh, it may take us longer to get there, but you know, that's, that's going to be a year by year thing to see how that all plays out. So, you know, the, the 125 million is, is, is pretty much guaranteed in the short term, but whether that's going to triple, uh, you know, in the next five years uh, really depends on, on how well the economy of Nebraska hums along. Might we see a return of the 35% solution? Yeah, we might, um, you know, especially if we're, if we end up being kind of stuck at the 125 million for the for the uh, uh, income tax uh, credits, uh, we might you know the, there might be interest in in in, in getting bigger uh, property tax relief, and so then you know we could see that ballot uh, that ballot being circulated again. Uh, we'll I think we'll probably find out in January or February, whether, whether the folks who have backed that in the past want to, you know, want to do that again, or whether they're going to, whether they're going to take some time, uh, take time out to, to do it. They could wait till 2020, uh, the, uh, 2022, you know, early 2022 and, and still have plenty of time uh, to get it on the ballot. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But if it had been adopted, if it had been put on the ballot and voters had voted it in, you know, it would have, it would have, you know, blown a $1.5 million uh, hole in the budget. And uh, we would have had to have raised, raised taxes or cut spending, you know, by $1.5 million uh, or, 
you know, half and half or, you know, two thirds, one third, whatever, you know, a lot of ways to split it. Then we'd probably have to broaden the sales tax base and, you know, know, have to do stuff that that we wouldn't be willing to do otherwise. Uh, We'd probably have to do that in order to uh, 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 try to hold uh, the state government together and stuff like that. So I don't think that this has necessarily gone away, uh, but uh, it's, you know, it's, I don't think it's going to be the high priority issue uh, that it has been the last few years, at least for the next year or two. Okay, we have a uh, actually three initiative measures that would authorize casino uh, gambling in Nebraska. I'm sure you've all seen some of the ads on TV. You know, keep the money in Nebraska, and 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 then the, you know, Coach Osborne saying, please don't vote for this, you know, and, and that. Um, one, of the, one of the three uh, initiatives, actually it's the last one, Initiative Measure 431, uh, would provide an estimated $40 million of property tax relief. Well, that's, you know, we're looking at our, at our $125 million to get us the 6%, you know, 40 is roughly a third of that, so it's around... 2% of, uh, you know, a property tax credit for the school taxes. Uh, so you can decide it's not going to, it's not going to move the needle a lot on property taxes. If it is adopted, uh, it will be something, you know, and it's, it's not, it's not negligible, but it's not moving the needle significantly, I guess is how I would put it. And so, um, but that is certainly an issue. Now, there's a couple ways to increase uh, the property tax base at the local level. Uh, And so we're going to talk about both of them in the next two slides. Uh, First one is wind and solar uh, energy development, you know, wind farms and solar farms. Um, If in the next few years, the United States gets more serious about trying to do something constructive about climate change, uh, moving in the direction of more clean energy. Uh, I think uh, particularly if, if uh, uh, the vice president uh, uh, Biden wins the election next month uh, or this year, I guess, hopefully it'll be over sometime in November, but who knows, um, <clears throat> you know, there'll be a lot of money trying to encourage uh, uh, clean energy or renewable energy development uh, like wind and solar. And, you know, depending on how it's structured, uh, if it's targeted to areas that's to states that say, yeah, we want to grow our clean energy sector within our state, uh, then, you know, uh, the states would get would have the opportunity of increased federal money to, to put into those sorts of developments to try to make that go. Nebraska is a, we have excellent uh, wind resources and better, apparently better solar resources than I, than I was aware of. And, uh, uh, but you know, we're, you know, we're, I think a top five state in terms of wind potential, uh, and and we've realized some of that, but we could we could do a lot more than we than we will. Uh, this is one of the deal though where we, where we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot, you know, where 
uh, with all the local opposition to uh, uh, electricity transmission lines, uh, local opposition to new uh, wind farms, you know, uh, because they make too much noise and, and, uh, and, and whatever, uh, you know, so we certainly we have the potential to grow that sector of the Nebraska economy, uh, but uh, things will have to change a little bit from how they are now uh, in order to in order to bring that about. Um, I tell my uh, students in agricultural law that they should think of wind energy development on their farm or solar energy on their farm, sort of like striking oil on their farm. Uh, you know, if you're in Texas or Kansas or Oklahoma, if you're a farmer that's got that's got oil wells on your farm, you know, the, you don't really need to worry a lot about making the farm pay for itself because you've got a lot of oil money that's going to come in and, and keep that keep that farm viable for a long time. Well, wind and solar energy have that same kind of uh, economic uh, potential for uh, the owners of agricultural land. So, so that's a that's a real possibility for, um, uh, you know, building or increasing the local tax base. Uh, you know, they pay property taxes if they come in, and so that they you know that that lightens the property tax load on everybody else in the county or the school district or whatever. And so that is that is a uh, uh, one thing that you know if you're concerned about local property taxes, that's one another thing to take. Uh, to take a hard look at. Uh, the next one is livestock development. And this is this has been a tug of war uh, that's been going on in Nebraska, you know, at least for the 45 years that I've been here, you know, uh, you know, since then we've seen a, uh, from the beginning of that, 1975 to now, we've seen big changes in the structure of livestock production, not necessarily on the beef side, but on the, but, but clearly on the swine side, uh, you know, where we've gone to larger, uh, larger scale operations and so forth. And, you know, these facilities pay more uh, property taxes than, you know, you do per acre for corn or soybeans or pasture. Uh, <clears throat> But they have had a tough time in trying to get more of those facilities in Nebraska and, and particularly swine facilities. The, uh, you know, we've had a lot of different legislative proposals, you know, to try to limit county zoning of livestock facilities the way they have in Iowa. You know, if, if, if we had if we had the zoning law in Iowa, that uh, if we had Iowa zoning law in Nebraska, excuse me, that's what I'm trying to say. If we had Iowa's zoning law in Nebraska and interpreted in, in Nebraska the same way it's been court interpreted in Iowa, uh, it'd be very hard for counties to turn down uh, proposed new livestock developments. Uh, but our Nebraska Supreme Court has interpreted it uh, differently than they do in Iowa. So, you know, our, you've got to get a zoning permit in most counties in Nebraska if you want to develop new livestock facilities above, you know, very, uh, above a certain size. And those are 
fairly can be fairly controversial. You know, there'll be a lot of a lot of concern about uh, uh, expressed concern about groundwater quality from you know from manure being applied to cropland uh, or just manure on the livestock facility, uh, not understanding you know what how that manure is managed and has to be managed to get the state environmental permits and so forth. Um, and when I would go to extension meetings to talk about this, I think I really annoy the, the corn farmers in the audience. So I say, we've got more groundwater contamination in Nebraska from corn, farm, corn farmers putting fertilizer on their fields than we do from anybody applying uh, uh, manure to their field. So, you know, but this, you know, when you look at when you look at the maps that show uh, any groundwater, you know, the high nitrate areas in Nebraska, it's most of that is is from uh, uh, irrigated corn uh, production, and so you know, they will raise the, the water the groundwater quality concerns because that's something under the law that they can hang their hat on to, to turn it down. Uh, however, uh, I think for most rural people, uh, while there may be a legitimate concern about groundwater quality, uh, they're really concerned about the odors. And I did spend a summer in a, or a good chunk of a summer working in a pig confinement near Hastings back uh, in the early 1970s. And, uh, you know, when I stopped working there, you know, mom, my mom threw all my work clothes away and stuff like that, shaving my beard off so I didn't, you know, I didn't smell so bad and stuff. You know, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's, a, it's a quite distinctive odor and, 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 very, and very different from, uh, from cattle. So, uh, you know, but because the now most modern fine, uh, swine uh, production facilities are, are in buildings, you know, you have opportunities to limit odors outside the building if you're willing to take some some extra steps and and, uh, and to to, uh, to try to limit those odors. And it's my opinion that, and I know I'm probably beating my head against the wall, but it's my opinion. You know, my informal observations has been is that you know livestock producers want to think that odor odor is not a real issue you know that's you know people don't die from livestock odor so so you can't say it's a health issue or anything like that you know it's just people don't people don't like people don't like farmers or they don't like livestock or whatever and they're just using the odors as an excuse to to oppose my zoning permit and uh i don't think that's i don't think that's really how it plays out i think you know people don't like the odors and we've got plenty of lawsuits in Nebraska where, you know, livestock facilities have, have been, you know, nailed because of the odors that they generate. And the juries have said, yeah, this, you know, neighbors shouldn't have to put up with this. So uh, I think, you know, the livestock sector, if they want to grow the rural tax base, they're going to need to adopt a, a little different, a more flexible attitude, I guess, on odors uh, and, you know, try to, say, you know, we want to be good neighbors. We understand there are some aspects of livestock production that, that everybody doesn't like. We're going to do everything we can 
to make our facility the best facility around and to minimize whatever negative aspects of it that may be of concern to you. Here's what we're gonna do for odors, here's what we're gonna do for water quality. You know, we're, we're gonna do everything uh, the best way that we can uh, so that, so that, uh, that we're a good neighbor and mean it. And, you know, I think that kind of a strategy would help, uh, but, you know, we're, whether that's going to happen is, is, uh, uh, I, I would love to see it happen, uh, but I'm not, I'm not going to bet the farm on it. Okay. The, when I, when I have property tax meetings and extensions, you know, when we get to the question and answer part, People always, some, there's always somebody, sometimes two or three somebodies who say, well, you know, they put, you know, they, they built that new football field or uh, they, they built that new band room or, or whatever it was. And, you know, that the school spending is just out of control. You know, we didn't have, uh, we, we didn't have a fancy football field when I went to school you know, 60 years ago, uh, or whatever it was, and, and, and that. But it's easy to complain about school spending. It's really hard to do anything about it. You know, uh, parents want, you know, parents that have kids in school want their kids to have the best uh, opportunities that they have. Uh, amazingly, there are people in rural communities who, you know, whose kids have gone through school, but who still think having a good school that provides good opportunities for students is probably one of the best economic development activities that they can have to try to bring new business enterprises to their community. You know, and, and I, I agree, good schools are a real plus, I think, in terms of, uh, in terms of a community's uh, economic development portfolio. So, uh, that's that's really important. Um, it's really hard to be on the school board and to be a consistent budget hawk. Uh, the story I like to tell is, is a rancher who lived, I think, on the edge of the Sand Hills, uh, who got on the school board, and he was, you know, he he was going to try to really hold a budget. And uh, after he after he voted against a few things. Uh, the parents got a recall petition and he had to go through a recall election, you know, to stay on the school board. He won the recall election, but they clipped his wings a little bit, I think, in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of uh, spending, uh, being the spending hawk. So, uh, you know, it's a lot of work to be on school board. It's a lot of work, you know, to be a county commissioner or NRD board member, you know, all these, all these people who, uh, assume the responsibility of public service, you know, really deserve a pat on the back because it's a lot of work. Uh, it, it's a lot of very, very difficult work. Um, and um, I don't think they get enough appreciation from the general public because, because it's a real sacrifice, I think. Uh, but to do it well, you know, you got to do a lot of homework uh, because there's all kinds of financial stuff you have to try to uh, figure out and, and that. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's really a big challenge. It's a lot easier to complain, uh, but uh, you know, that, that doesn't, uh, at, the, at, the, at the end of the day, that doesn't, that really doesn't change anything. Okay, so what are the chances for the big elusive uh, grand bargain 
to solve the property tax problem in Nebraska. Um, here, you know, of the state and local taxes we pay, uh, property taxes are the highest, you know, 38%, uh, sales taxes 29%, and income taxes 26%. Uh, nationally, you know, our property taxes are very high, where I think we're in the top 10, uh, and, and a lot of these top 10 states, uh, the other states in the top 10 are states that don't have an income tax or don't, don't have a sales tax or maybe don't have either an income tax or a sales tax, so, you know, We've got all three, uh, but our property taxes are still up there. Uh, so our property taxes are high. Our, our sales taxes at the national, uh, compared to other states, are low. And I think it's, it's the favorite tax to raise for, for most states. Uh, and our income taxes are somewhere in the middle. So uh, some people suggest that, well, yeah, I mean, if it was a third, a third, a third, uh, you know, if property tax, if we paid about the same in property taxes and income taxes and sales taxes, you know, that would be a more balanced approach uh, rather than having uh, a property tax, you know, being, you know, one and a half or so more than, than the other taxes, at least more than that, more, much more than the income taxes. Uh, and so this is what's called the tax shift, where you raise the taxes that are, you know, not carrying their share of the load. And so that, you, that gives you the revenue to lower the taxes that are carrying too much of their loads. They'd be raising, raising sales taxes or income taxes or both in order to try to lower the property taxes. Uh, now, one political reality that you come up against pretty quick is that it's pretty hard to raise state income taxes because, you know, we're, we all, uh, we uh, use that term very loosely. Uh, we have to, uh, I, I like to say that we have to make Nebraska safe for millionaires. Uh, and that's only partially tongue in cheek. But the idea is that, you know, you've got these entrepreneurial types, you know, who are the millionaires, the high flyers, the, the, they've, and they've got their business, whatever business it might be. Uh, and if they come to your state, you know, they will, you know, they'll hire people and, and create jobs and stuff like that. And that's wonderful. But if they, if they look, come and, and, uh, and see what our, our income taxes are like, they say, Oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to pay those kinds of taxes. I'm not, I'm not taking my business to Nebraska. I'm going to take it someplace else that has a more business friendly income tax structure, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and that, that uh, that contention uh, is is very persuasive, I think, to uh, you know to governors and to legislators and stuff who want to improve the state's economic activity, increase uh, economic development. So, you know, it's it, that's going to be the that's it's going to be hard to to raise income taxes very much uh, for property tax relief. Um, Nebraska is low nationally for state aid to school, uh, and you know one of the things that uh, one of the one of the things that we could do is increase that. That would basically increase sales tax and income taxes going into the state aid fund. Uh, and if that fund were increased uh, and maybe restructured a little bit so that more of the aid was across the board, uh, so that every every school would get a significant amount of state aid. 
uh, one of the proposals that was shot down in 2019 and 2020, uh, you know, that that would take some pressure off the property taxes. Uh, but, you know, uh, that, I mean, that sounds like that's something that, that you could talk about, but, you know, school districts were not part of the negotiations last year or this year. Uh, the schools uh, don't trust state aid because, you know, back when Ben Nelson was governor, uh, before he became U.S. Senator, uh, we went through a budget crisis uh, and uh, state aid to schools was cut. And the school districts will never forget that. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe, after, maybe after 50 years or something, maybe then it will say, well, you can't complain about something that happened 50 years ago, but it's less than 50 years. So they, so they can, uh, uh, so they, they, they remember it and they say, we don't trust, you know, we don't want to lose any of our sales tax, uh, any of our property tax base, excuse me, because uh, as soon as we do, you're going to cut state aid, uh, to schools and then we're going to be in, in a pickle. So there's no easy answers, uh, no clear strategy to a grand bargain. Uh, and if, you know, if there were easy answers or a way to get this done, I think we would have done it. And, uh, you know, the fact that we're still here talking about, you know, when we adopted sales and income taxes uh, back in the 60s, that was supposed to uh, lower property taxes. Well, you know, probably property taxes are higher now than they were then. And so, you know, it's, it's a tough problem. Uh, we haven't been able to figure it out then. And it's just because it's just, you know, it's, it's hard, hard to move people on this. So thank you very much. And I think we may have a question or two. So I will uh, turn it over back to Brad. Dave, thank you very much uh, for your discussion, uh, thorough uh, uh, discussion of how we got to this point, what we actually have, and, and what the path forward might be. Um, we do have a handful of questions. I invite a few more as we have just a few minutes left here uh, in, our, uh, in our planned uh, time to talk about uh, property tax today. Uh, one of the questions, just a technical uh, question, relates to uh, is the income tax credit specifically only on property taxes, real property taxes, or is it also on personal property taxes? Just real property. Real property. And, and a property and taxes, pro, 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 real property paid to schools. And real property taxes paid to schools. And, and then an add-on to that, we're talking about pro, real property taxes paid to K-12 schools, or does it also include educational service units and community colleges i'm i'm pretty sure it's k-12 but just k-12 I, I would not i couldn't swear to it on a stack of bibles okay. all right all right um a, a, another question that has come in and and you did discuss prospects ahead but fundamentally a question is where do we go from here for property tax relief if a six percent that might become an 18 percent refund uh, translates into, into something like a three to nine percent decrease in current property tax bills. Um, is that it? Is this sort of the grand bargain that that or the grand compromise that has put property tax relief to bed, or is there still? Uh, you describe the possible scenarios ahead. Do you see any of those as plausible scenarios? Well, I I, I think the the total. I. 
boy, I, I should have made this part of the talk. Uh, schools get more than half of the property taxes right. collected. So let's, let's and, and I should know that number I don't, but let's say it's half. So if, I, so if there's an 18% reduction in school taxes paid, that's a 9% property tax reduction. I think it's I think it's sixty percent of property taxes go for schools, so it's right. a little more than a little more than that. So right. It's more than two or three percent. You know, it's it's close to eight or nine percent. But yeah, if if you want big, uh, then you've got to get for once for one a governor who is receptive to looking at going into uh, sales tax. I mean, sales tax looks like the most likely source of additional tax revenue, broadening the sales tax base, closing exemptions, uh, and just, you know, trying to muscle that through. Uh, I will note, uh, you know, that you want to do that uh, while Senator Chambers is uh, out of the legislature. Uh, if he comes back, you know, he, he is term limited now. Uh, he could come back in four years. So I would say that there may be a four-year window in which to, to do that. You know, there there may be other senators and legislature who would take up the charge uh, of, you know, trying to protect consumers from sales tax increases. Uh, but you know, Senator Chambers is in a league of his own in terms of his ability to to uh, stop those sorts of things dead in their tracks. But yeah, it's 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 going to be a challenge any way you look at it. Dave, I have uh, one more uh, technical question and one more uh, uh, sort of philosophical question. Uh, technical question first. Um, when you talk about the refundable tax credit uh, being on your 2020 uh, return uh, payable in, in 2021, mm -hmm. uh, is that on taxes paid in 2020 or is that on the 2020 taxes that would be paid in 2021? Is it is it based on the the taxes that are paid in the tax year, or is it based on the the property tax year itself? No, it's 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 based on the well. Well, my understanding is that it is the property taxes that you paid during the calendar the twenty twenty calendar year. Right. Okay. So you know, it's the twenty nineteen tax year. Right. Paid, taxes paid in twenty twenty that are refundable on the 2020 income tax return due in 2021. Right. And okay. I am, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to throw something out just, just, you know, just, just for fun. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm hoping that, that we can get, uh, you know, Tina or uh, Austin uh, or someone to do a, to take a look at this, you know, kind of from the, the more technical tax standpoint and, and, and let people know kind of what their options are and stuff. But uh, I've always assumed that people could pay some property taxes early in 2020. Uh, and, and then so get a little bigger refund in mm -hmm. uh, 2021. Uh, obviously, talk to your tax advisor. Don't do it because they can set it. It might be a good idea. They <laughs> can, you know, as far as your taxes are concerned, they can doesn't know what he's talking about. So... <laughs> But I, I just throw that out as a possibility. Well, we have to acknowledge that you, like I, am a public servant that gets paid with state funds. So we appreciate the tax support <laughs> that does, uh, does come with that. Uh, the philosophical question or the, uh, the perspective question, uh, you mentioned possible 
developments that could all contribute to economic development, uh, uh, new revenues, tax relief. Um, the question is, if wind and solar are really a potential source of new development and, and property tax base and property tax revenue, uh, then why is it that rural senators, this is the question, why is it the rural senators are the biggest opponents? Well, um, it's, it's, it's politics and it is uh, uh, power districts in Nebraska, I don't want to say any names, power districts in Nebraska that have major coal facilities that want to run those facilities as much as they can for as long as they can. They know that time is not on their side. They know that as we get more concerned about climate change and, and clean energy and, and all that, that that is going to throw a monkey wrench into their plans of, you know, how much total revenues will they get from this facility from when they opened it up to, you know, to when they put it in mothballs. So that, that is, again, I'm not, I don't want to point figures, uh, but that's the, that's been the constraint. And the power districts have been very effective in terms of um, persuading rural legislators that, you know, you know, these, these power districts have helped build rural Nebraska and they've, you know, they provide reliable electricity that's highly reliable. And for years and years, not as, not as much anymore, but for years and years were provided relatively low uh, rates, uh, electricity rates. So, uh, you know, you don't stab a friend like that in the back is, is uh, kind of their message, but that's, there's no question in my mind that that's the, that's why we have not uh, tried to cash in on our uh, clean energy potential in Nebraska because it, the potential is there and it's real and it'll be at some some point uh, if it's you know whether it's in the next five years or the next ten or fifteen years it's going to be millions and millions of dollars mm -hmm. of new investment in Nebraska millions and millions and millions. Dave, as, as a, not to make a political comment, but as a, as a note, sort of a follow-up to that, it's a recognition that all of these issues are always going to be complex. Uh, renewable energy might offer new economic opportunities, might offer new tax base. The same citizens that would benefit from expanding tax base are also ratepayers into a current uh, public power system that... Uh, might end up competing against or have to compete against that, that new generation. So uh, one final question for the day, and we appreciate everybody's participation, but the last question for the day uh, relates to the prospects of a potential uh, constitutional amendment. If other issues like uh, relief or growth or so forth are, are difficult, ultimately it might still be a constitutional amendment that seems to be the biggest hammer uh, what are the prospects for that, either through ballot or through a uh, legislative resolution? What, what prospects do you see for an introduction of, of the constitutional amendment in the, in the coming year or years? I have, uh, I have always uh, been amazed that um, 
the original 30% solution and then the subsequent 35% solution uh, did not get on the ballot. And <clears throat> I understand that some groups uh, and, and some ag groups who might be expected to support something like that uh, would say, yeah, that would provide meaningful property tax relief. No two ways about that. Uh, but it would also provide, wreak a lot of havoc in terms of, you know, state government, state institutions, uh, University of Nebraska, you know, whatever. Uh, the, the higher ed, the Nebraska higher ed system throughout the state, you know. Because from a, from a purely political standpoint, if, if uh, some, some of the ag groups said, we're going we're gonna to take this up and support it, you know, we're, we're, we're giving up on the political process, we're going to support this, uh, they, could get the, they could get the thing on the ballot. And once it was on the ballot, you would not have to have a very big budget to run these half-page ads, maybe full-page ads in, in newspapers in every county in Nebraska saying, if you're a homeowner, you know, this is how much of a refund you would get. You know, you, you're going to get 35% of your property taxes that you paid on your house. You're going to get that back as a check from the state. If you're a farmer, you know, here's the same calculations for you. If you're a rancher, here's the same calculations for you. Do the sample ones and then show them how to do it. You know, say, here's how you can find out what it would be for yourself. You know, then it'll show a form and stuff like that and say, look at this line and then multiply this by 35 and 0.35. And, and that's how much your refund check would be if you vote for this. And I, you know, uh, it would, you know, the, the people who would lose from that uh, being adopted would have a lot of political headwind, I think, in terms of trying to convince people that, yeah, it's better to pay the taxes than to get the money back. You know, that's, that's an uphill battle. And so uh, I think it has been the lack of uh, political support, or excuse me, financial support, from, you know, from groups who could put resources, both human and uh, financial, into the effort to get that on the ballot. If the major, if the two or three major ag groups in Nebraska said, you know, let's do this, let's do this, let's, I'm tired of, I'm tired of the so-called nickel and dime stuff for property tax relief. I want, I want it now and I don't want to have to wait for it. And if that means they're going to have to change the, you know, change income taxes or sales tax or state spending, great. You know, it'll be worth it. I, I think it, I think those petitions would fly off the shelves. They'd come back with tons and tons of signatures and, uh, you know, I think it'd get on the ballot and it'd be pretty, it'd be, it'd be, if, if I was, going to be a paid political consultant, I guess I'd rather be paid to try to get the thing passed than being paid to, to get the thing, uh, to get the, to defeat the thing. Uh, mm -hmm. If you're being paid on a contingency, because I think, I think the smart money will be on it's being enacted.
So I think, I think, I mean, I, I think it's been kind of maybe a lack of leadership is in terms of why that hasn't made it through, because I think if they could overcome the leadership and the, and the financial thing, then they, you know, but that'd be an interesting discussion. I mean, it'd be, right. great, it'd be great to have a panel, you know, get representatives from some of the ag groups, some of the other, some of the taxpayer groups, you know, maybe some other industry groups. That'd be a fascinating, that would be a fascinating uh, uh, panel discussion to listen to. Great. Dave, thank you very much uh, for the discussion uh, and the perspective. There may be a future topic here to come back to uh, soon enough. I want to thank everyone for joining us today on the webinar, uh, and thank you for sticking with us uh, a little bit past the one o'clock hour here. Uh, but please note, a recording of this webinar, like all of the other previous webinars, uh, will be posted at farm.unl.edu. Uh, you can also find information about our upcoming webinars uh, on that page as well. Uh, check farm.unl.edu for the schedule. Uh, we have a couple, uh, three webinars yet coming up the, this uh, month. Uh, next week will be a discussion of farm income and farm program payments uh, when I, in fact, will have the privilege of uh, uh, delivering some information and providing an update. Uh, on October 22nd, we'll talk about uh, the farm financial position uh, in Nebraska, and, and Tina Barrett uh, will be uh, there. And then on, on October 29th, Dave will be back on the uh, agenda to talk about ballot issues. He mentioned uh, some of them today, but uh, an opportunity to review the ballot issues ahead of uh, the early November election. So as you leave today, uh, a reminder that you'll be receiving a short 30-second survey in your email. We would really appreciate your feedback on today's webinar, your input on future sessions, uh, and your overall uh, support of this continued webinar effort. Thanks again for joining us, and have a great day. This has been a special Nebraska FarmCast presentation of Extension Farm and Ranch Management in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To view or listen to more archived webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications to guide your decision-making, visit farm.unl.edu.